everybody what's going on. She Runs Ultras episode number 11. And in this one, we're going to talk about DNFing and things that are just totally out of your control. So this past week, my training has been like completely hijacked by the weather. I've had to make some changes to my schedule based on mother nature. So I thought maybe it would be kind of a good week to talk about things that, you know, are like outside of our control and the weather being one of them. So I've mentioned it before, but I live in New Hampshire and the weather up here can be a little wild at times. This past week, it's been cold and snowy. And the other day we had an ice storm that basically turned our driveway and the streets that we live on into like a skating rink. (laughs) So I've had to adjust my training just a little bit and I don't have access to a running treadmill here at home. So I tend to favor other methods of cross training when I can't do what's normally on my schedule or what's planned. And the other day I posted on Instagram about how I've been doing some more snowshoeing recently, and that's a great form of cross training. We've got some woods here behind the house, so I've created kind of this little track course for me to walk on, but it's really, I'm going to be honest, it's really for the dogs. (laughs) They have adopted it as their own, so we'll go out and hike around for 20 or 30 minutes a couple times a day, and it's great. It's not the same as running. I'm not like operating under that like delusion that 20 or 30 minutes worth of snowshoeing is the same as running, but I subscribe to the something is better than nothing school of thought. So, and it hasn't really failed me yet. So we're going to keep going with it. So in addition to snowshoeing, I'm also a big fan of riding my bike on the indoor trainer, not only because I can binge watch shows on Netflix, but because it gives me the opportunity to build leg strength and cardio without all the impact or the pounding of the running. So I work that into my training plan a lot because like I've mentioned before, I only really run three to four days a week and that's largely dependent on how my back and my hips are feeling. So the bike is a big part of my cross training. So the weather can really throw a monkey wrench into things and it can be really annoying, but I found that it's best to push through and do as much training as you can in the adverse conditions, because you honestly never know what you're going to get on race day. And seriously, the whole goal of training is to practice for race day. And that includes all the possible weather permutations that you're going to face. So my advice would be try not to avoid running in unfavorable conditions. I've seen a lot of posts on Facebook recently from people asking others how they train in the cold weather. And the simple, but let's be honest, not always popular answer is you just go and do it. (laughs) I know that's not necessarily what you want to hear when you're in that moment when you're asking that question, but it's the truth. And the second best answer is layers. You have to master the game of finding the appropriate number of layers of clothing that are going to suit whatever conditions you're facing. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make here kind of in a long winded way is don't get bent out of shape about the weather. Try to train in it as much as you can 
as safely as you can and substitute in cross training when necessary when it's just not safe like when your driveway or the roads are a skating rink use cross training instead so something similar that has come up in my run farther faster stronger group is how do you adjust your training plan when the weather is a factor so for example the other day there was that big ice storm and people were reaching out and asking how to swap in another activity for the 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 run that they were supposed to do that day. So how do you know what to swap for your run? How long, how hard should that other activity be? And these are all like really great questions. And in the beginning, when I was trying to figure this whole running thing out for myself, I can remember thinking, well, there's no substitute. (laughs) There's no substitute for running. You just have to go out and do it regardless of what it's like outside. But over the years, I've had kind of a shift in my thinking, mostly because I trained with that line of logic for a while and I went out and executed runs when I was hot, overly tired, run down, or when when the weather wasn't favorable. And I'll be honest, the results were pretty horrible. So Instead, I could have achieved a better outcome by thinking strategically about my training versus using kind of the all or nothing mentality that I was really (laughs) holding very tight to. So I'm not saying that you should only run when everything is perfect, when you feel 100%, the weather is good and like the stars are aligned. But I do think that there is some benefit to running when things are like less than ideal so that you'll know what you're capable of in those scenarios, like if it's a race condition. And this all really comes down to trial and error. The more you try to go out when things are less than ideal and potentially fail and learn, the better off you'll be in the future when you're faced with a decision about whether or not to run based on the conditions, both external, like the weather, and internal, how you're feeling. And that's a big one. Okay, sorry, I got a little sidetracked there, but I'm back on course now. So to answer the question, how do you know what to swap and for how long or how hard, That really depends on what the objective was for the workout that you're swapping for. And this ties back to your training plan. So if you remember back to, oh gosh, I think it's like episode four, where I shared how you can build your own training plan. There's like a PDF download there. And if you've gotten that, you'll remember or see that there are different phases to the plan. So within those phases, the workouts will have different objectives like building your cardio base or increasing your pace or speed or maybe even like improving your ability to run the hills. So when it comes to thinking about how you're going to swap out a workout for a cross training session, you have to take that kind of original objective into mind. If the objective was to build cardio, then just swap the session for something that will help you build cardio and do it for approximately the same amount of time that it would have taken you to do whatever your run was that day. So whether you're doing it based on mileage or time. And if the objective was like, say, hills, find something that will replicate 
and build those same skills. Also, don't be super precious about it. Like I know, I know I'm kind of playing both sides of the argument here, but it doesn't have to be an apples to apples kind of thing. Meaning it doesn't have to line up perfectly minutes or miles wise. Again, something is better than nothing. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Um, if it doesn't, let me know. So just, you know, try to find something that is a reasonable facsimile for what you're trying to do. And always just keep in mind, what was the objective for the workout? So when I was thinking about things that are out of your control, it brought me back to this race I did a while back. I think it was maybe, it's probably like six Oh, maybe it's even more. I don't know. I seem to like be losing track of time these days. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> um, so it was my first attempt at 100K. So about 62 miles. And spoiler alert, I, I DNF'd it. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. But first, I have to kind of paint the picture so that you can fully understand how I ended up pulling the plug on this race. So this is a race that took place in the town that's like next door to where I live now. The terrain was really familiar to me, but the course was not because most of it was on private land. So definitely not open to the public for pre-running. This race was actually put on by the same race director that had been doing a very popular mountain bike race for Oh, like many, many years. And the running race was added to this kind of race weekend later on. So the year that I was doing it, they're doing both a 100 mile bike race. I think it was a 50 K bike race and then the 100 K run and a 50 K run maybe it wasn't a 50k run. I'd have to go back and look, but they were doing like a lot of events. Okay. So Saturday morning I arrived at the start. I'm dressed, primed, ready to go. I know ahead of time, it's going to be a super hot day. And I I'm, I'm prepared for this because this is something that I have to work on. The course map that we were handed at the start was I'm just going to be honest here. It was like complete and utter garbage. Like I said, this race was literally in my backyard and I couldn't make heads or tails of the map that they gave me. I just ended up giving it over to my husband because he was going to try and find me at some of the larger road crossings and big ups to him because he actually did find me (laughs) a few times. Actually, I should go back and say, the night before the race, I went to the pre-race briefing got like, you know, the lowdown about the aid stations and such, because I knew it was going to be hot and I don't do well in the heat. So my husband and I had talked about having some sort of a backup plan because I didn't want to have to rely on the aid stations because the course was just going to be kind of a nightmare. (laughs) Okay. So back to the start, I show up and get going on time. Now, I mentioned that there was also a mountain bike race going on. So the runners started about two hours before the riders. We we headed out in the dark, headlamps and all. And I should also mention we were sharing the same course as the riders. So yeah, things got a little interesting. There were only a couple small sections where we as runners kind of peeled off and did our own course. So for the most part, we were always sharing it with the mountain bikers. 
So I'm running, the sun is just barely coming up and there really aren't very many people doing the running race. If I had to, I think there were maybe like 30 of us total. It might've even been less than that. So you can imagine like once we, once we start, everyone just spreads out and I'm all alone running down a dirt road, getting ready to kind of drop into the woods for my first real trail section. And all of a sudden I hear a dirt bike in the distance. Now I knew this was going to happen because that's how they were leading out all of the mountain bikers. So the dirt bike passes me, he's going super fast, and then it was quiet for a bit, but not too long after that, I heard what sounded honestly like a swarm of bees coming up behind me, and in like no time flat, a hundred, maybe even more, mountain bikers were literally on top of me on this super tight single track trail. Like I had had just enough time to get into the trail off the dirt road after the dirt bike passed me. And then maybe another minute after that was when all of the mountain bikers came by. And I had, like I said, I had just enough time to kind of step off to the right so that I wouldn't get taken out by like a rogue handlebar. And honestly, it was really close a couple of times. A few of them actually yelled to each other as they passed me. Like I heard one of them be like, whoa, did you see that chick? I almost clocked her. (laughs) Like, yeah, I saw you too. So good times. (laughs) Um, So once they went by, I got back on the trail and kind of just resumed my running. I basically had the place to myself. You know, maybe there was one or two kind of random cyclists in the back that were kind of just plugging along, mostly the guys on fat bikes that were at the back, just kind of cruising, having a good time. And after this time gets a little fuzzy here for me because I like I mentioned, the course map was not very good. And so I literally had no idea where I was going. I had to really pay attention to the course markers. And you'll want to keep that in mind because I'm actually going to come back to that (laughs) in a little bit. So there were no mile markers or anything. Remember, we're, we're basically following the same mountain bike course. Like the run is definitely an afterthought here. There were just tiny strips of survey tape, yellow and green of all the colors of this survey tape hung from the trees. Now, some of the mountain bike sections had brightly colored arrows that were basically tacked to the bottom of the trees. But for the runners, they wanted us to follow the survey tape. And it was, like I said, hung from the trees. Don't get me started on this because this, this comes into play a little bit later, but just think about that for a second. So a few of the, actually some of the intersections were marked, but you know, the majority of this course, just think about following yellow and green survey tape for hours on end, (laughs) looking up for hours on end. For the next few hours, I ran around through the woods at times passing some of the same mountain bikers that flew by me earlier when they were off their bikes, pushing them up the hills. And I'm not going to lie at all. It was seriously satisfying (laughs) to pass them going uphill. And actually they made way for me this time. So that was kind of nice. So right around, oh, I want to say like early afternoon, this is where everything just starts to go off the rails. I got horribly lost, like horribly lost. I made a turn 
And because the terrain was starting to get technical, like roots and rocks and whatnot, I made the mistake of just putting my head down and running, looking at my feet versus looking up for the markers. Can you see where this is going? I don't remember how long I did that long, how long I did it for, but it it like wasn't that long, but it was just long enough to get myself lost. And again, I was all alone, like you know, there's not very many of us. And this happened to be one of those sections where the runners were diverging from the mountain bike course. So I stopped, tried to like take a deep breath, calm down, look around, try to get back on course. I looked for a marker in front of me. I walked up a little bit on what I thought was the trail, couldn't find one, turned around, went back, looked for markers, couldn't find one. I kept on like this for I don't know, a long time. I tried not to look at my watch because I didn't want to get like, I didn't want to add another layer of frustration because look, it was already hot. I was tired. I'm lost. And PS, I didn't mention this before, but I fucking hate getting lost. Like it is one of my all time pet peeves. (laughs) Like if you're driving with me and we get lost, not, not good times. So I'm also running out of time, which is why I didn't really want to look at my watch because this this race was two loops of this course. And right before I got lost, I was basically just supposed to, according to what I remembered from the map, pop out of the woods and be on the home stretch to completing my first loop. Yeah, now not so much. (laughs) That, That wasn't the case anymore. So I don't remember how long I searched for, but eventually I found another runner. So I was super excited. This is a super nice French Canadian guy. He didn't speak much English. (laughs) And my French was just a little rusty. But from what you know, we were able to say to each other, I could, I could see right away, like it, it didn't really even take words, like I could see that he was in a bad way. He told me that he was super dehydrated, he'd been totally out of water, uh, and lost for a long time. Um, so I gave him a little bit of what I had left in my pack and it seemed to help him kind of perk up right away because I was actually using Tailwind. So he got a little boost of sugar and with our two brains pushed together, we managed to extract ourselves from the woods after, oh, I don't know, it probably was like another 30 minutes. I'm no joke, you guys, like 30 minutes or so looking around for a marker. And by that time, you thought I was mad before. Now I was pissed. (laughs) Pissed and annoyed that the markers were so shitty and just pissed that I'd allowed myself to get so lost. So we made it back to the start finish. Uh, We were able to complete a full lap and I barely even stopped to grab stuff from my drop bag. And I honestly didn't even speak to my husband because I was just so focused and let's be honest, like totally pissed. And when I get pissed, I just head down and go. So the first few miles of each loop is on the paved and dirt roads surrounding these, you know, private um, trails. And by the time I hit the dirt section that drops you into the woods for the first time, I was severely overheated. Despite my best efforts to cool off, I was redlining hard. Uh, And the other thing that I didn't mention was that I'd been conserving water in my pack for hours because there were a number of self-serve aid stations in the woods because the course was so remote. Again, private landowner land, they don't want you 
trekking in with cars. And some, some of the locations were honestly, they had to use an ATV to get in there to drop off the supplies. But by the time I got there, totally cleaned out. Not a dro- literally not a drop of water. They had put some goose and some um, power bar power bars out there, totally cleaned out, nothing left. So it wasn't surprising to me that I found that runner in the woods and he was totally out of fluid because he was only carrying like one handheld bottle and I had my pack. So, you know, every time I had the opportunity to fill up, I did. So I, I was conserving and had some left. So anyway, here I am at the road crossing coming up to where my husband has stopped to see me and he can he can spot right away that it's not good not like the interaction that we had back at the start finish line wasn't a clue like now he can see I'm not in a good way so he took all the ice he had out of the cooler and I started stuffing it down my shirt and shorts he poured some of the ice cold water over my head and that's when I really started to explain to him like what I'd actually been through the last few hours because before I was just too angry. I just blew right by him. So I mentioned the empty aid stations, the lack of course marking, getting lost, finding that guy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now here's kind of where our stories differ a little bit because I thought I was doing okay at this point. Like aside from being overheated, which I will totally admit, But if you ask him, I was all out of sorts. (laughs) It's actually a funny story. After this interaction, I continued with the race. So I got, you know, ice down. I got more water in my pack. I got some snacks and I decided to keep going, even though he had kind of tried to talk me out of it. So about five minutes later, I got a text from my husband that said something to the effect of, well, she's not doing well. I'm going to have to pull her. I saw that and was like, wait a second, like, why is he sending that to me? And then I realized that he was actually supposed to be communicating with like my mom and my brothers and like people that wanted updates from me. So he actually meant to send that. I think it was to my mom. And so I kind of got pissed. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? I'm I'm fine. <laughs> but apparently I wasn't really speaking in full sentences or coherently. So I don't know, maybe he really did have cause to want to try to pull me from the race. So I did do another section in the woods and again, dropped out onto a dirt road and I had no idea he was going to be there, but there was my husband, Adam. So by this time I have had a chance to cool off about the text message, (laughs) but I'm still totally overheating. Um, And now I can really start to see the writing on the wall. And it just so happens that I'm about to head into another super long section of the woods. And it's the very same section in which I got lost the last time. I think it was probably 10 or 15 mile stretch between road crossings or where anyone could actually come in to see me. So I wasn't super keen (laughs) to go back in there. And honestly, I have no idea what I did wrong the first time. So I was really nervous about getting lost again, because not only am I fast approaching the critical point at where I'm going to miss the time cutoff, I'm honestly worried that if something were to go wrong, that nobody was going to be able to find me because there were sections that 
I had no cell service. So, hmm. so I thought about it for a while and reluctantly I pulled myself from the race. I decided that it wasn't worth it to me to continue and potentially put myself in a really dangerous position of being overheated, exhausted, mentally depleted, and then like to get lost. So as far as things that are out of your control, (laughs) I think this race was a great example and Honestly, it was a good learning opportunity. I'm not happy about DNFing, but in the grand scheme of things, it was definitely the right decision. I I didn't have control over the weather or the course markings. The only thing I had control over was myself and my reactions to what was happening. So if anyone's out there that's worried about DNFing, it's okay. (laughs) Okay. I have DNF'd many times and I'm still here, still doing ultras. And honestly, there isn't an ultra runner out there that doesn't have a DNF on their record. It's part of the process. Maybe they won't admit to it, but they have definitely DNF'd. (laughs) Sometimes it's the result of something you did. And sometimes it's due to things that are like we're talking about outside of your control. The thing about ultra running is that you have to hone your skills of adapting and overcoming. But at the same time, you also have to check your pride and check your ego, which I'll freely admit, it isn't always easy to do, especially if you are somebody like me who's super type A, very motivated, like I wanted to finish that race. Like that 100K happened, like I'd already run 50K. So this was the next logical distance for me. And I I honestly thought I was a shoe in but it was like pretty clear that I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready. And some things happened, some, some circumstances transpired that were really going to challenge me. So yeah, checking your pride and your ego is part of ultra running. I I didn't want to quit that race. I really wanted to finish, but it wouldn't have been, like I said, a smart decision given those circumstances. So I just wanted to share that story because I don't think that you necessarily hear a lot of stories about DNFs, but I promise you (laughs) they are out there. And I'm also sharing it because I think that you can really learn a lot from hearing where other people get tripped up or have struggled in the past, even though you might not face the exact same set of circumstances. You'll pick up these kind of little nuggets of information that you'll remember. And when you kind of approach something similar, it kind of snap back, snaps back into your brain and you're like, oh, right, I remember this story. Here's what they did. Why don't I try that? Or maybe I can try something similar or a version of that. And yeah, that's how you learn and grow and ultimately complete ultras. Okay, that was a long one, (laughs) but hopefully all of that makes sense and I brought it full circle for you. Maybe you don't actually mind that this was a longer episode because you're binge listening while you're running on the treadmill (laughs) or riding your bike indoors because the weather is throwing you a curveball this week too. Whatever the case may be, enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon. Thank you.